boulder and ash. The reed beds shifting, swaying in the breeze. The distinctive silhouette of Angelica, with its hollow, fluted stems standing like soldiers to attention, the leaves as big as his hand. The familiar bell-shaped pink flowers of knitbone. The splash of fish and snakes, water boatmen skimming their silent way across the mirrored surface. For week after week, one month, two months, the young monk had walked and walked and walked. Following the sweep and flow of the great Rodanus from Lugdunum, south towards the sea, rising before matins each day, with the memory of the gentle murmur of his brother's voices in his head, he voyaged on alone. In the heat of the day between the hours of sext and nones, sheltering from the sun in the dense green woods or shepherd's huts, in the late afternoon as the first stirrings of vespers echoed from the chapel in the community, he would rise again and fare forward, the liturgy of the hours marking the progress of the days and nights, a slow and steady progress from north to south, from east to west. Arrhenius didn't know precisely how long he'd been travelling, only that the seasons were changing, spring slipping softly into early summer. The colours of April and May, white blossom and yellow broom and pink flocks, yielding to the gold of June and July. The green vineyards of the Gallia Nabonensis and the sweep of barley in the fields. The driving wind whipping over the austere salt flats and the blue of the gulf of the Sinus Gallicus. That stretch of the journey followed the Via Domitia, the Roman wine route, along roads of tolls and taxes. It had been simple for him to blend in with the merchants and traders heading for Hispania. Arrhenius coughed and pulled the grey hooded cloak tight around his narrow frame, though it was far from cold. The cough was worse again, leaving his throat raw. Bunching the material at his neck, he re-pinned his brooch, a bronze fibula in the shape of a cross with tiny white enamel oak leaves decorating each of the four arms and a green leaf in the centre. It was the only personal possession Arrhenius had been unable, unwilling, to give up on entering the community, a gift from his mother, Sevilia, the day the soldiers came. He looked across the attacks to the walls of the town and gave thanks to God for his safe deliverance. He had heard that here, men of all faiths and creeds were given sanctuary, that here, Gnostics and Christians and those who adhered still to the older religions lived side by side, that this was a place of safety and refuge for any and all who would come. Arrhenius put his hand to his chest needing to feel the familiar single loose leaf of papyrus beneath his tunic. He thought of his fellow brothers in Christ, each of them also smuggling a copy of a condemned text away from the community. They had parted company at Massilia, where it was said Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea had first come ashore to preach the word of God. From here, Arrhenius and his brother set sail for Smyrna in Asia Minor. From there, one was bound for the holy city of Jerusalem and the plains of Cephal, another for Memphis, the last for Thebes in Upper Egypt. Arrhenius would never know if their efforts had been successful, any more than they would hear of him. Each were destined, burdened, to complete his mission alone.
Arrhenius considered himself to be an obedient and willing servant of God. He was not a particularly brave man, nor a lettered one, but he had found strength in his conviction that the holy writings should not be destroyed. He could not watch the words of Mary Magdalene and Thomas and Peter and Judas burning. Arrhenius still remembered the crack of the flames licking the air, red and white and gold, as the precious writings were consigned to the pyre. Papyrus and vellum, the choirs and scrolls, the blister of Greek and Hebrew and Coptic turned to black ash. The smell of reed and water and glue and wax, filling the stone courtyard of the community in the capital of Gaul that had been his home. The papyrus shifted beneath his tunic, like a second skin. Arrhenius did not understand the text, he could not read the Coptic script, and besides, the letters were smudged, cracked. All he understood was that it was said the power contained within the seven verses of this, the shortest of the codices, were absolute, as great as anything in the ancient writings of Exodus or Enoch.